Awesome. Okay. Dr. Bearden, uh, thank you for being here. Um, I, uh, like I was just second, saying to you a second ago, I was uh, just really excited for, uh, to have this conversation because, um, well, there's never like a right or wrong time to talk about mental health. It kind of just Absolutely. is, you know? Yeah. And uh, I think um, on the drive here, I kind of, I was just thinking about like my own history uh, and like what motivated me to, to reach out to you. So um, I was born in, in 97. Mm -hmm. uh, so when I was like, uh, uh, maybe like 13 or 14, I remember some, some of my like earliest Google searches, uh, you know, <laughs> would be like, maybe maybe I would like Google my symptoms or something and be like, all right, I'm a little tired, I have a headache. And the uh, first thing that would come up is like probably something from Mayo Clinic. And it would be like, headache, a little tired, you know, sounds like you have stage four cancer, something yeah. like that, <laughs> right. you know? And uh, so to see the evolution from then to now and where specifically young people are... Like self-diagnosing is like at an all-time high, mm -hmm. and it's even it's 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 even like I would say worse than when it was you know just googling something and maybe you'd get an article because now there there's this desire to create an identity yeah. around uh, uh, one's mental health condition and like now there's influencers who might uh, suffer from certain uh, uh, conditions that. Uh, you know, document their everyday lives. And unfortunately, you know, these symptoms like, oh, you know, feeling sad or this or that, they can be, they're usually general symptoms that humans are, all, we're all capable of feeling without it necessarily being a mental condition. Absolutely. So, so I think this, being that I have like a young audience and you know, I think the, the big one in the last few years has been ADHD for sure. Uh, but not just ADHD. I think like just the overall romanticizing of certain mental uh, health conditions, whether that's um, a bipolar disorder or schizophrenia. Like, unfortunately, my generation and younger, like our, like what we think these things are, it largely comes from like film and, and pop culture. Mm -hmm. So I think to uh, have someone like yourself who... Uh, I mean, I don't know who, who else is more qualified to, to talk about this. And I know that you specialize more so specifically in, in prevention. But I think that um, obviously with specializing in prevention, you're obviously able to, to define what these disorders are and what, how they actually impact people's uh, uh, lives on a daily basis. Um, and not like the, you know, the romanticized like Hollywood extreme version of these conditions. Um, well, I guess I've kind of hinted at, at what you do, but if you would like to take a second and just introduce yourself. Sure. Oh, wow. I, yeah. You, everything that you've said, I, I have, I have a lot to say. Yeah. <laughs> about that. Um, yeah. So, uh, so my name is Carrie Bearden. I am a professor in the departments of psychiatry and biobehavioral sciences and also uh, psychology at UCLA. And so I've been at UCLA actually since 2002, which is like, surprises me every time I say that because I can't believe it's been that long. But I absolutely, I love what I do. Um, so <clears throat> our program, we primarily work with adolescents with um, 
teenagers who are um, at risk for developing uh, what we call a serious mental illness, so a psychotic disorder um, like schizophrenia. Um, but uh, a lot of those young people, even though we're talking about prevention, um, they do already have um, you know, anxiety, depression, and some of these early, pretty distressing, worrisome <clears throat> symptoms of... <clears throat> Of potentially a serious mental illness developing. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, I again, the, there's, I think with with you being in the, uh, you know, specifically tackling this uh, with the goal of preventing these things from developing, I think is such a unique position to be in. Because I, I mean, the the first question that comes to mind is, uh, what. What do you usually see in, in in someone when someone's like recognizing themselves and becoming self-aware? And I'm guessing they're judging their behavior maybe according to what they think is normal. And I guess succumb right. to whether it's a parent realizing it in a kid or a kid themselves realizing that, you know, what they're doing or feeling is not normal. I guess, like, what are the the early signs in a uh, in in someone that they might be just dealing with something? Yeah. So, uh, if you're looking at uh, someone who's at risk for schizophrenia, mm -hmm. which is a serious mental illness that um, involves, you know, essentially a break from reality where you have delusion, so <clears throat> meaning false beliefs. So, you think something. So, an example of a delusion would be. I am totally convinced that the FBI is following me and you cannot convince me otherwise. So that would be a, like a fully formed illusion, a hallucination. It's like hearing voices and at a very severe level, it's voices telling you to kill yourself, for example. So mm. that's like a very severe and um, distressing symptom mm -hmm. for, um, and, and so those are the types of symptoms that at a fully psychotic level, that would be what someone is experiencing. And so what we're talking about is typically um, people starting to worry about those things, like thinking, okay, I'm worried that maybe, you know, my friends are talking, whispering things about me, saying negative things about me, but I'm not really sure, but it's starting to really freak me out, things like that. And, um, and also starting to, you know, withdraw from friends and family, feeling more socially isolated. Now that could be a lot of things that it could also be depression. Mm -hmm. It could also be, um, anxiety. And so, but you know, it's really important to get in there and get those things evaluated, um, by a, a mental health professional before they start escalating and getting mm -hmm. worse. Okay. Yeah. And I, and I guess, um, you know, it's, it's, I actually have a question for you, uh, something you said, uh, in the beginning when you were saying delusion, uh, and you gave that example of, a uh, FBI agent is would the difference between delusion and paranoia be someone who is actually in a position where the FBI might like, like if a criminal mm -hmm. was, uh, thought the FBI was like, would, is that paranoia being that, okay. Okay, so. Yeah, so that's a really important question, and that's okay. why sometimes these things take a long time for us to evaluate yeah. because there's some sometimes there's some realistic concern, right? Mm. Um, you know, and a lot of times this will come up for something like 
I think people at school are saying bad things about me. And sometimes maybe they are, you know? And so, and sometimes there's some grain of, of truth or reality in what people are concerned about. And so, so that's one of the things that it is really important that we evaluate, okay, where is this coming from? And is there some degree to which this might be true or some, some, you know, basis in reality? And so, so with the FBI example, Absolutely. There could be somebody who would have a legitimate reason to be worried about that. And so then we try to understand, okay, where is this coming from? And then there's also, you know, it's gotten harder um, recently because of the internet, honestly, because people will see a lot of these conspiracy theories online. And, you know, particularly for someone who is a little bit socially isolated, you can really go down a rabbit hole with some of these things you find online. And mm. so, so that's another thing we really try to disentangle. Okay, how much is this like this person's own idea versus how much are they just, you know, being influenced and, you know, dragged into these conspiracies by things yeah. that they see online. And sometimes it's really hard to disentangle that. Yeah. Wow. Um, man, I mean, you know, even backing up a little here, I'm actually just, I'm, I'm uh, personally just curious, uh, why you you do what you do i'm always like every guest i I, Mm -hmm. uh, have on i'm always curious like what you know leads them down their path but um what what uh what about uh prevention uh for you um within this field or even the field in general like like inspired you to to get into it yeah when so when i went to college at uc berkeley and uh i got I think just um, these courses on biological psychology and um, developmental psychopathology got me just really fascinated. And first of all, just the idea that there are parts of your brain that are really critical for you know doing certain certain things like certain mental activities, and then the idea that you know how can those things go wrong um, mm. early in development, and so just the understanding that the way your brain develops. Um, can have a really profound impact on, um, you know, just basically everything that makes us human in mm-hmm. some ways. And so, um, so, so the idea of, of understanding, um, it, you know, what is going wrong in the brain that's causing these uh, serious mental illnesses like schizophrenia to develop, it just it became something that really, um, I mean, was, was fascinating from a scientific standpoint, but also just meeting people that are suffering from these conditions, you just feel like, my gosh, is there something that can be done? And, um, and a lot of times, you know, people will say that, um, who have schizophrenia that, you know, they will talk about programs that really change the course of their lives and, and things then, and wishing that those things had been available to them Mm -hmm. earlier on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, um, just by in because I, I you you kind of did earlier, but uh, just for the sake of like um, uh, making sure everyone's on the on the same page, would you mind uh, uh, describing um, or, or defining uh, what schizophrenia is exactly? Yeah, so schizophrenia is a serious mental illness uh, that involves a a break from reality. So these experiences of either um, believing things that aren't true and or seeing or hearing things that aren't there. Um, And typically it also involves uh, what we call negative symptoms. So those are uh, symptoms like a lack of motivation, a sort of lacking of what typical people enjoy, for example. So what we call anhedonia, Mm. which is a symptom of lack of pleasure in normal everyday activities. Also problems with um, cognition, so things like attention and concentration are also affected. 
it's really defined by those positive symptoms, the delusions and hallucinations. Also, it can involve things like bizarre behavior. Um, and so it affects about one in 100 people. And it uh, tends to develop in late adolescence, um, early adulthood. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, I, 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 um, it, my experience with, uh, uh, I guess, like watching content that maybe has a, 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 a character uh, dealing with schizophrenia, um, it's, I feel like I've only ever seen this one version of where it's just like, just, you know, full blown, uh, you know, voices coming in, they're seeing things and, uh, I'm, I'm curious, like, is there, is there, is there a spectrum to it? Like, are, are there people like, and, and what would like the, the lowest side or, mm -hmm. or, or, or I guess, how would I say the, 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 the less severe case of schizophrenia look like? Yeah, it absolutely is a spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, one of the things that's really um, important to know about the disorder is that those positive symptoms that I mentioned, the mm -hmm. delusions and hallucinations, those actually tend to respond to medications like antipsychotic medication mm -hmm. is sort of the first line of treatment. Um, but those other symptoms that I talked about, the negative symptoms, so sort of lack of motivation, um, feeling, you know, essentially blah. And so some people that have schizophrenia will say, I don't feel sad. I just feel nothing. Mm. Um, and so those sorts of symptoms are the ones that are really hard to treat. And mm. those are the ones that really stay. So essentially what you'll have is you'll have these periods of escalation of these positive symptoms where, you know, just periodically they'll, you know, someone will start hearing voices and so forth, but those can be treated. And then it's kind of those, those more negative symptoms that are just really difficult. And those are the, those are the symptoms that actually are the most, um, impairing. Mm. So that's the reason that, you know, people with schizophrenia for the most part don't end up, you know, having jobs. There are certainly exceptions to that, mm -hmm. but for the most part, I mean, those are the symptoms that really uh, cause a lot of the disability. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, uh, again, in, 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 uh, movies, a lot of times, uh, uh characters with schizophrenia are like, even, uh, uh, portrayed as like, oh, they can like access like another dimension. And, and this, like, I don't know, this, this desire to make these things look like superpowers. Mm -hmm. and, and then you learn that people are like really suffering. Yeah. You know? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and schizophrenia, I will say is, is somewhat, uh, yeah, it, it's an incredibly distressing, um, condition to have. People do not want to have it. And the other, the other thing about it is that particularly in the early phases, like when these symptoms first start developing, as I mentioned, it's like typically like adolescence, early adulthood, kind of this period of time when you're starting to, you know, develop your identity mm. and maybe go to college, all of that. I mean, so it's a, it's a really, um, you know, often stressful time in people's lives. And so starting to experience these symptoms is, is really scary. Yeah. And so it is also, um, particularly in those early phases, um, associated with a very high rates of suicide. Um, and like, you know, just because it's, it's a, so a lot of the, you know, the young people that come into our program are in a really, really, um, tough state. So, yeah, as you said, I think in the movies it's portrayed, you know, um, like John Nash, you know, beautiful oh, yeah. mind. And, yeah. um, you know, obviously, I mean, he did have schizophrenia. And so not to say that it's in, inaccurate, yeah. but, you know, certainly this portrayal that people are, you know, all, 
you know, coming up with these incredible, you know, mathematical theorems. That's, yeah. you know, typically people are so distressed that, you know, they're really not able to function in that way. Yeah. And, and, uh, what, what is, what, what's like the, the, the key differences between, uh, schizophrenia and psychosis? Yeah, so psychosis is kind of a broader like umbrella term. Okay. So you could have these psychotic symptoms. That really refers to those symptoms like delusions or hallucinations. Mm -hmm. So you could have those symptoms with a different um, diagnosis, like bipolar disorder. You can also... And bipolar mm -hmm. disorder is... Um, is essentially where you have these periods of mania and depression. And so, and so someone who's manic um, could have psychotic symptoms like thinking, believing that they're, you know, that they have superpowers, for example, or thinking they're Jesus Christ, you know, those kinds of things. Um, and so, so that would be a psychotic symptom, but it's in the context of mania. Yeah. If yeah. that makes sense. No, that, that does make sense. I didn't, I didn't, um, realize that it was more of an umbrella turn rather yeah. than a specific, uh, condition. Um, yeah, I actually, I think the, the, the first time I, uh, came across that was, uh, cause I know, you know, as marijuana gets more and more, uh, popular, um, the, cause I think it's, it's, uh, it's weird. Uh, marijuana went from like this thing where it's like the, you know, it's, it's the devil's grass <laughs> to then like recently more, re like probably the nineties to, I would say mid 2010s where it's, it's just, this like miracle drug that has like okay. no negatives, like it, it can only enrich your life. And then uh, uh, I think to, to learn that, um, th that there's like a real risk uh, for psychosis, yes. um, uh, to ex experience that. Um, and, and this is where your, I think your job is so interesting because you, I I'm guessing you indirectly learn about so many other things that may affect or cause uh, uh, mental health uh, disorders. So like in your own studies, do you have to maybe uh, interact with or, or learn about like the effects of drugs or like maybe the environment someone grows up in and how that affects mental health? Definitely. Mm. Yeah. And the more, I mean, the more we learn about these environmental factors, yeah, I mean, they, they absolutely have an impact. And mm. so so in terms of what causes schizophrenia, so we know the genetics are a big part of it. Mm. Um, if you have an identical twin with schizophrenia, you have a 50% chance of also having schizophrenia. So, but you oh. know, it's, you have all the same genes, right? But mm -hmm. then it's 50% chance. So that still means that, you know, the environment is also important. And so, so that's something that's, you know, it's really, it's really hard to understand. Um, in some ways, but we know that early trauma, so early traumatic life events, they essentially double your risk of having schizophrenia. Mm. And now they're associated with a lot of other bad stuff as well, yeah. right? So, um, but but yeah, so there is a, a connection there. And then, as you mentioned, um, marijuana, cannabis is is that's really interesting because I think, as you said, just historically, you know, I think there was a, a huge pendulum swing about yeah. how we think about this because, you know, I'm part of it in terms of the legalization that there were a lot of, um, you know, very large numbers of people put in jail for, you know, yep. these really minor offenses. And so, so from that standpoint, well, I won't get into like my own personal political yeah. beliefs too much, but yes, absolutely. You know, this, um, 
Um, and if you think about, you know, you compare the negative effects of marijuana to, you know, something like methamphetamine or, you know, or even alcohol. Yeah, it's, it's probably, you know, it's, it's, it's not, um, it's not associated with the same addictive properties. On the other hand, the evidence that it is associated with um, risk for developing a psych- psychosis is is really, uh, I mean, that evidence is is still coming out, but it's 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 definitely there. And and so what I think we're still trying to understand is is it only for somebody who has a genetic vulnerability, for example, or are they the ones who are going to develop mm-hmm. a psychotic disorder um, from using marijuana? And maybe for some people, it's fine. And so that's what we're still trying to really understand. But it does look like, particularly for this really high potency, like high THC content um, marijuana, and if you start using earlier, like, um, you know, there's like a dose-response relationship. So uh, for kids who started using um, before age 12, for example, I mean, there is a really high risk of developing a psychotic disorder um, later in life. Yeah. Um, And it's associated with, you know, like the frequency, like how often you use and, and definitely associated mm. with the potency yeah. of THC. So, um, yeah. So I think it is not benign, I think yeah. is the bottom line here. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed. I think first time I, first time I smoked weed, I was 14 and it was really shitty weed. So I am <laughs> hoping, <laughs> I'm hoping that that's, that actually pays off. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Right. If it, yeah, that's probably, that's definitely better for you yeah. in terms of, uh, yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah. yeah, no, and I it would it would be a shame because it it's uh, yeah that drug in particular being uh, you know if it ends up being um, like a, a major problem and and people um, you know I think a lot of people who have done it uh, would unfortunately have been under the impression that it's just totally harmless and that that's probably the worst part about it, um, but uh, I, I guess. Um, it, what, and when looking at someone who might uh, experience um, any of these conditions later in, in life, um, this is it, it's tricky because from what I, I know, I mean, I, I know people of all socioeconomic backgrounds that um, uh, suffer with, with all kinds of uh, conditions. But it, it, are there like uh, certain key factors and where uh, someone is, is uh, even outside of genetics, maybe like within mm-hmm. their environment where it's, it's very likely someone... Uh, later on develop something? Yeah, for schizophrenia, it does look like, and, and some of this we really don't quite understand why, mm-hmm. but um, uh, particularly, so um, lower socioeconomic status, so poverty, mm-hmm. I mean, poverty is just generally bad for the brain. I think yeah. that's one thing that yeah. we know. Um, but living in a you know very dense, overcrowded um, urban environment is associated Certainly, it's not a single causal factor, but it is associated with a higher risk mm-hmm. um, for developing schizophrenia. Okay. Um, and then you see, yeah. So then the you know the the cannabis marijuana association is another like a very specific environmental factor that we think okay, this is something that is modifiable, right? Mm. Like we can give people advice about this. Some of the other things are harder to control, you know, in terms of poverty and, you know, just your living environment. Um, But certainly, you know, those are associated with increased risk. I mean, and there's other things like um, birth complications, like, um, yeah, so, um, and particularly um, things that uh, cause like sort of fetal oxygen deprivation, um, that's associated with like a higher risk. Mm. 
Again, none of this is, you know, a direct, okay, if you have this, it's going to cause the disorder, yeah. right? But, you know, those are just, um, there is there's some connection. Yeah, and from uh, the, but of course, the, the little that I I know, I, um, uh, I've heard that, uh, you know, even for physical conditions, uh, like if you have, a, a family has like a history of, of heart disease, for example, um, that... Uh, there are certain uh, genes that if you're able to, uh, that one, if you're aware that they're there and you live like the life that you need to live to, uh, you know, combat that issue, that you can prevent them from, uh, I guess, like activating. Mm -hmm. uh, so is that is that the same with uh, mental health in that like you, you could be genetically predisposed to, to something, but... Like, like maybe if you live like a lower stress life and you're aware of it, that you can, you know, live a full life without ever having to experience that. Yeah, ab absolutely. Absolutely. And so we definitely see um, people in our program who have, you know, a, a, like a, a close relative um, mm. with schizophrenia and they're very worried that they might mm. get it um, because of seeing what happened with their relative. And, um, you know, it's scary. And, and that is, you know, a big part of the message is, look, you know, this is not, it's not fate. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot that can be done. And so certainly developing, you know, better coping strategies and being able to, you know, and increase your stress tolerance. Mm -hmm. um, sleep is a big factor, you know, and then for somebody that does have that family history, yeah, we would say, look, some, for some people, marijuana might be okay, but you're not one of those people. And so you really should, you know, try to avoid it as much as possible. And, yeah. you know, and then other things that really, um, can, can disrupt your, your sleep and, and stress. So, so, you know, that's, uh, just some general guidance that we, we give for people that, mm. and, and some of these treatments are very, um, you know, things that could benefit everybody. So uh, some of the psychosocial interventions that we do, like, you know, meditation, that's a good one, yeah. um, you know. And and so so we do have people that will wonder, should I start taking an antipsychotic because I really don't want to get this, this thing? And so for something like that, we'd say no, you know, really, unless you're actually having symptoms, then that, you know, th that would be premature. But let's try to implement all these other things that mm. can be done, these, you know, environmental changes that can be made that yeah. would help you, you know. Yeah. And, you know, uh, uh, being that you mentioned uh, earlier that um, you, well, I know you, you, you moved uh, here to and started at, at UCLA in 2002, but I guess how, uh, how long have you been uh, in this field, I guess, total? Let's see. So I went to graduate school at um, the University of Pennsylvania, and I finished in um, 2000. And then I did. Um, then I you do a clinical internship. So okay. that was in San Diego. And so basically, UCLA was my first like faculty job. Okay. And so I've kind of been there ever since. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I, and I asked that because like, how how like, uh, in in a way, it's it's almost like the uh, perfect timing for for what you do. Because like, how crazy has it been to see the 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 overall view on mental health change yeah. since then? Because I'm I'm I remember like I, like being really really young. I still remember an era where for most mental health 
conditions there was like this suck it up attitude like or like you're you know you're making stuff up like no one wants to go to work so what makes you like that kind of vibe and to see this um uh you know i mean we we still have some ways to go but there but there's a there it's definitely moved in a direction where on average there's a there's an like an understanding that mental health uh, is 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 one that's real and that mental health conditions are real. Uh, but like, what is that? When when so when the culture evolves in that direction, how does that affect your work? So in general, in general, it's a good thing mm-hmm. um, because I think people are more willing to yeah. come to um, to seek out services for mental health for treatment. So. So I think that's a positive. Um, and then, you know, this, I mean, we also do a lot of work on like reducing stigma mm-hmm. and cause this is a really tough thing for families. And so a lot of families and particularly, I mean, there are cultural differences too, in terms of like sort of how accepted it is yeah. to have a mental health, um, condition of any kind. Um, and so, so it's often, you know, it's a tough conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times, and we, so we see like a whole range, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, some parents are really right there, you know, very concerned, yeah. appropriately concerned and really want, um, yeah. their children to get help. I mean, not, you know, and, and I mean, across the board, I mean, the parents are concerned, but I think just, um, in terms of the, you know, like cultural understanding of what's going on, I mean, that, that differs a lot. Mm-hmm. And, um, for some families, and for some families, it is really, um, it is really de- well. It, it's very upsetting to have to be told that your child has a you know a serious mental health condition, and so that's something that we really try to work with families to get them to understand what this means. And it's not it's not you know fate. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this is you're on a downward slope, and there's nothing you can do. Absolutely not. I mean, there's a lot that can be done. So I mean, there's a lot of room for optimism. But I think just in terms of have families are approaching it. Um, you know, for some people, this is really a big, it's still really a big concern within their culture about, you know, just being able to talk about these things that, you know, it, it's embarrassing or shameful, mm-hmm. or there's the idea that, you know, it's their own fault. And, and that, so these are all things that are really, um, you know, we do a lot of psychoeducation and really trying to, you know, give a lot of background about what yeah. these mental health conditions are and, you know, what we know about what causes them. And even if it's, you know, yeah, genetics are a part of it, but that doesn't mean, you know, for A, it doesn't mean it's your fault and B, it doesn't mean there's nothing you can do. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I'm, I'm uh, really glad that you, you brought up that, uh, you know, cultural differences. Cause I think, uh, I mean, I, I was born and raised here, but my parents came uh, in the eighties from Nigeria mm-hmm. and um, yeah. So growing up with like Nigerian uh, parents, for sure, I definitely, I think I, I grew up uh, I, I would say probably mentally tougher than probably the average American kid in the sense that, uh, well, definitely came with its pros and cons in the sense that, that, you know, this, well, I guess like always being aware that like, you know, someone out there has it worse than you, but I, the, but the cons to that is downplaying your own, uh, um, I, there, the, the one yeah. quote, um, I love this quote. It's like, uh, uh, the worst thing that's ever happened to you is the worst thing that's ever happened to you. You know, for some that might be that, you know, their dad got them the wrong color Lamborghini and (laughs) (laughs) for others, it could be just full blown, you know, war zone type stuff. So, um, uh, yeah, I think, I think 
and, and, I, and I guess where I'm going with this is, do you ever conduct uh, uh, studies where maybe you're, you're comparing uh, uh, different um, cultures and, and, and mindsets towards mental health? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we really try. So in L.A., there's a huge, you know, I mean, it's just so much cultural diversity. Yeah. And so we really try at, at, we, And because our program, because we're funded with research and we have some philanthropy funding as well, one of the nice things that we can provide a lot of our services free of charge um, to people, which is really, uh, you know, that, I mean, that can be a big barrier um, to getting mental health services. So um, so that's one thing. So, you know, we really, and we um, also provide services in Spanish. So really trying to just do what we can to like improve the access to yeah. treatment. Because, you know, I mean, you come to this, you know, UCLA is an intimidating place. You don't yeah. speak the language very well. It's just, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things that can, you know, be a barrier to yeah. getting uh, treatment. Um, but in terms of your question about sort of in other cultures out, outside of LA, um, we have a project um, with a colleague. We have collaborators in Latin America, in Colombia. Mm. And, and so um, that's been really interesting um, working with uh, uh, investigators and psychiatrists in Colombia, because there is, you know, people have gone through a lot of, of trauma, um, often, you know, people that were involved in wars and, um, you know, so, so it's, it's, and, you know, particularly in certain pockets of the population, um, they have seen, you know, a lot of trauma. And so it is really, I mean, that's sort of the backdrop of what we're working with in terms of doing some of these like diagnostic assessments and mm -hmm. really trying to understand like how formative that might be for some of the people, mm -hmm. um, you know, for some of the young people. And I'm, I'm glad you say that because I think that's like another one of those like uh, buzzwords in our today's society, trauma, mm -hmm. because I would love to know how uh, a professional like yourself in your field defines the word trauma, because I think in, uh, uh, you know, in everyday culture, I think we've gotten to a point now where we're calling um all adversity trauma. Yeah. So uh, uh, I guess in your you know own definition, like what 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 are the distinctions between adversity and like real trauma? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great question, and I don't think there's a hard and fast um, definition. I mean, there is for what we call post traumatic stress disorder, and that's uh, you know. And so the, the questions you would ask to determine that are, you know, have you experienced an extremely distressing event that involves, you know, like some sort of physical or, um, you know, I mean, pretty significant violence or, or it could be a natural disaster, you know, something where, you know, there was real fear of death um, involved. And so there are some specific criteria for what would be considered a traumatic event um, that would trigger, you know, a mm. post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, not, certainly not everyone that has undergone something that would be, you know, considered a, a trauma will develop a post-traumatic stress disorder. And those are, you know, the criteria for that are that you're sort of re-experiencing the mm -hmm. event and going, you know, flashbacks and, you know, any sort of, uh, anything that would remind you of the event is extremely distressing and so forth. Um, so that's another, um, area that people are really trying to understand, like, what is it that causes some people to develop this PTSD? 
and others not. And so, you know, it, it was really studied initially in the context of war, um, where, you know, there's very clearly traumatic things happening, um, but certainly um, domestic violence and, um, you know, I mean, there are lots of other types of, of interpersonal violence that could uh, cause PTSD. Yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, again, it, I mean, there's so many uh, things that I'm, I'm realizing, uh, you know, sitting across from you and, and hearing you talk and then, you know, I guess looking at like how our culture has evolved over time, uh, it, you know, it, it, I, I think of like when, um, I guess, what would that be like mid 2010s when trigger warnings became like a real thing right and i, I now and and again talking to you i'm realizing like the the dangers of all this is that unfortunately uh it's not people like yourself that like roll these things out uh it's it's just kind of mm -hmm. culture just kind of becomes its own thing so uh you know and which i guess you know a decade later, here we are. We're all armchair psychologists to, to some <laughs> yeah. degree, but um, uh, yeah, hearing you say that, like like domestic violence, because like you'll you'll go on social media and see someone say like maybe uh, TW trigger warning domestic violence or or rape or, or something like that. Um, I guess is there. Is there a well? There has to be a spectrum to PTSD. Um, but, Absolutely. but I guess like what, what, what's going on in the brain in the sense that maybe like on the, the lowest level of that, that, uh, uh, spectrum and where like even just seeing content that might relate to something that you experienced that was traumatic, like, like what, what, what happens to the brain when you're just like seeing st uh, stuff like that? Yeah. The, um, that is a great question. And so essentially it's, um, you know, the idea is that it's causing, uh, you to re-experience that, that, that traumatic event and, you know, to live through it again. Um, and so it's activating those, that brain circuitry that was activated by this trauma. And there's, you know, a lot of folks doing some really, um, important research about looking at, um, ways to maybe extend, you know, extinguish those sorts of responses because I think it is like a very physiological response people get to, um, or it can be, you know, to something that would remind them of the traumatic event where they immediately have, you know, their heart starts racing and have these like, you know, really strong physiological reaction. Mm -hmm. So, um, yes, there's a lot of work going on in that area in terms of treatments to kind of reduce that physiological response because once you're in that state you know this activated state it's really hard to calm down and you know will cause people to have panic attacks and yeah. and that kind of thing so um but yeah i i um as you said i think that you know there there is question i'm not an expert on this but mm -hmm. there is a question about you know are these trigger warnings is this helpful at all is this yeah. you know um like what is this doing and um yeah so i I can't say that I, I know the answer to that, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it is a question of whether some of this is just getting overused and then, and then, you know, there's the other issue of just what people are exposed to in terms of, you know, violent content on, yeah, you know, on all of this media is, and again, it's really hard to say that it's, 
you know, broadly speaking, that it's doing something terrible, but, you know, you have to think that it is probably influencing the way people process. Yeah. Things. And I, I think the, um, which I'm sure you've, you've, I'm, I'm sure you've done, uh, you know, a lot of research on how it affects, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, genders differently. Um, cause I think with social media specifically, the data on young girls is right. the most frightening mm -hmm. and, um, going, you know, back to, you know, uh, if we're talking about prevention, I think, especially in America, we're so used to throwing like a pill at stuff to be like, oh, well, that, hopefully that you fix the problem. Even for f physical issues, we have, there's things that, uh, um, uh, people take and saying like, oh, well, if you take this every day, you won't get heart disease. So, you know, I think that's, that's pretty well, I think prevention is pretty well understood when it comes to physical ailments, right. but I don't think, I, I, I mean, at least it's new to me um, uh, in the last few months that there were things that we could do for mental health that's pre uh, uh, preventative. And um, that, that being said, like the, the, if we're talking about social media, um, and things that maybe someone would have to do that changes their lifestyle. Uh, how do you get, let's say, like a, a young person, like a kid, for example, to like, like, how would you come to a conclusion that maybe they're, they might have a, a, a brain or a makeup and where like being exposed to social media mm -hmm. is just not good for them? Um, yeah, I guess like, how would you come to that conclusion? This is a really, it's a really tough question because I think social media, because it's so widespread, I mean, it's everywhere. And mm -hmm. so just, we're all part of this experiment, right? That yeah. nobody consented to, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's kind of, it's really alarming. And when you see, you know, babies using iPads and so forth. And this is just the norm now. And so you just think, yeah, that's, that's rearranging your brain. And not to say that that's necessarily bad, but mm -hmm. it's doing something, yeah. you know, our brains are really plastic. And, um, so, so it is changing the way that people process information. And again, yeah, I mean, not to say, oh, that, that's, that's a terrible thing. Um, but I think it's really important that we do try to understand it. And I, I think it's one of the reasons that this was, was, has been hard to get a handle on in terms of how detrimental social media really is, is it probably is affecting people in different ways. And, and it does really depend on the content and how you're consuming it. And, um, so there's a lot of individual differences, um, mm. in terms of how it's affecting people, but you're absolutely right in terms of, um, you know, teenage girls do seem to be, you know, that there is, is, is definitely a vulnerability to depression and anxiety, um, related to, um, that does appear to be related to the frequency of social media use. So, yeah. so, and you know, it's a correlation. So yeah. it is really trying to understand, you know, to, to dig into that further. And, you know, in terms of advice for individual people that, that gets, um, that gets tough, uh, to yeah. say, really say, but, you know, I think what, what, so one of the things that we try to do is to get people and we do this with, um, you know, things, also like, like with, with marijuana use, you know, getting people to document, um, you know, their mood over time and, you know, using social media. Okay. You know, like 
what tracking your social media use and your mood and, you know, just to see and really trying to get people to understand themselves because it's not really our business to, you know, just broadly give advice to people like stay off of Instagram. You know, I mean, how (laughs) are you going to tell a teenager to do that? That's really, that's tough. Um, you know, and you, you don't want to give advice to people or just have no interest in listening to. So you really want people to kind of come to that understanding themselves. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, if you're tracking, you know, okay, every time I go on Instagram, yeah, like two hours later, I feel kind of crappy. Mm-hmm. Then that's information, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's, and, and sometimes it takes a while for people really to get that insight because it's often, it's not immediate. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're going to look at it and immediately like, you know, feel down, but, you know, you're sort of start to understand patterns in how these things are affecting you. And so that's one of the the things we really try to do is getting people to really come to that understanding themselves about just how, how everything that you're consuming in the world and how that's affecting you. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, um, uh, again, mid 2010s, uh, with social media, I remember, I feel like the, the turning point where, there's just no point of return. I remember when Facebook and things like Twitter and Reddit um, really quickly like intertwined with every other aspect of our life. Like <laughs> right. sometime around like 2013, 14, where mm-hmm. you want if you wanted to sign up for another website, you could now use your Facebook to sign up for the right. website. And like uh, I remember uh, uh, the orientation week for college that the the how they organized us all and brought us all together was a Facebook group for my class. Mm-hmm. So like all these things and where like just over the years you just slowly basically have no choice. Like even if this thing is terrible for right. your mental health, you just don't have a choice but to play the game. And absolutely, yeah, yeah, I, and and that's something. Right. And I I don't have a a solution, um, but I think it is really important on an individual level that, you know, we don't take this for granted, Mm -hmm. that it's just going to pervade every aspect of our lives at every possible waking moment, you know, Um, that we really try to evaluate and, and, and I would say, you know, really try to unplug sometimes. I mean, this is getting into like the advice thing, but, (laughs) you know, just really try to get away from it. Um, And because I, I think even when, you know, you're out in some beautiful place in nature, a lot of times, and I, I'm not, you know, like immune to this either. You want to take a photo and, you know, put yourself, you know, take your selfie and post it, you know? So I, I mean, really just trying to experience things in the moment and not think about, you know, how this is going to be amplified to, Mm -hmm. you know, your audience. And I, I think it, it just, it's a whole different way of looking at the world and interacting with the world. Mm -hmm. And I think that we don't really take time to process that. Um, and I, and, you know, particularly for, for people like teenagers who grew up, you know, they were born into this. Whereas, you know, for, I mean, for sure for me and, you know, you a little bit like, you know, we had a time in our lives we can remember where this wasn't, things weren't this way. And so, yeah. yeah. I mean, 90, yeah. Being born in 97, I'm, I feel like I'm right at that cutoff because mm-hmm. I remember um, people didn't read like it wasn't I was maybe 16 when everyone was on social media 
So, uh, which is the total opposite of now. Like, I mean, you're, you're probably on it. You're like nine years old right now. Yeah. So, uh, uh, and, and where like, if you didn't have a phone and you were like 16 or 17, that was still kind of normal. So I, I like, I, I, yeah, I'm like right at the end of where, you know, yeah, society just fundamentally changed for sure. Um, and Yeah, I mean, but I, I, I man, I, I had, when I remember, like, the stuff I was looking at, I mean, my my in, entire generation, uh, like, we, <laughs> like, age 14, we've all seen, like, ISIS beheading videos and stuff, and it's just, and I've, I've, I'm only smart enough to know that we shouldn't be looking at that stuff, and it's going to impact us, but like you said, like, the question is how exactly, um, but, but I think, I think the, the younger crop of millennials or maybe the older crop of Gen Z, like maybe just like maybe four or five more years and, and there'll probably be like real proper studies mm-hmm. on how this has impacted an entire generation. Um, but yeah, that'll be, that'll be uh, interesting to see. Um, yeah. Uh, and before I forget, uh, going back to um, prevention, I, was thinking because I, I, you know, maybe this is pessimistic of me. I look at healthcare in, in the, the United States mm. more so as like disease management than healthcare. So when talking about prevention, I imagine that like health insurance companies probably look at prevention as like, like what is this shit? Like what do you mean prevention? It's, it's infuriating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah. I imagine so. Um, so like like because I I mean I, of course uh, I wouldn't leave here uh, today without asking you like well you know uh, is this can can anyone whether they they they're feeling things or maybe they just want to know like maybe genetically what they might be predisposed to like like are there tests that people can take but then my the next question for me was like would insurance even cover this for people. Yeah. So it is a great question. And, um, one that unfortunately in a lot of cases they, they don't, I mean, it really depends on your insurance plan and, um, lots of nitty gritty details. Um, but, but good mental health treatment is, is it's both hard to find and it's, it's hard to get coverage. So, you know, um, a lot of plans will cover, you know, a very short term time limited treatment. Um, for therapy, sometimes it's hard to, you know, find a provider that your insurance, you know, is in your network. And so it's really, it's really challenging. Um, and yeah, you mentioned before that, you know, prevention for common medical conditions is something that, you know, people do understand, but applying that principle to mental health is just not something that, you know, we typically think about, but we should because waiting until things have gotten really dire and until, you know, this whole cascade of negative things has happened. I mean, that's sort of the way we treat mental health when it's, you know, we wait till the house is on fire and it's just, it's, I, I don't think that's the way things ought to be done, but mm-hmm. on the other hand, you know, convincing insurance companies of this is, um, you know, has been remarkably challenging. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's uh, unfortunately it's it's um, again. I mean if you can't if you yeah if there if there's uh, not something that you can prescribe that uh, you know a patient will be be hooked on for probably a while. It's really hard to get coverage uh, in this country, and it's 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 impossible. You know, 
Because I, 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 I might even take that back in terms of me saying that I, it's a pessimistic view because I, I really think, unfortunately, I, I'm just talking about what our health insurance really is. Yes, absolutely. That's just what it is. Uh-huh. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I guess are there, um, so what, what like labs or, or, or are there like names for tests and where like you maybe would get scanned or looked at? Um, or, or is this like a longer process that, you know? Yeah. So, so mental health and, and psychiatric disorders, uh, one of the challenges, um, for medicine is that there is not a lab based diagnostic Mm -hmm. test. Um, there's not a blood test. Um, there's not, you know, people that have a, a psychiatric disorder like schizophrenia, if you look at a bunch of them on, you know, a, a brain scan, um, yeah, there are differences, but there's not one specific thing. Um, you know, it's not like a brain tumor where mm-hmm. you would look at an individual scan and say, aha, this person has schizophrenia. Um, it's really, you know, these like large scale studies where we see these differences, um, but it, it's very distributed. It's sort of things that affect the brain very broadly. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's not a diagnostic test. Um, the diagnostic, the way that we diagnose these things is based on a clinical interview. So we're asking people questions. Mm -hmm. And so there's screening measures like these short screening measures that can be done. Um, but yeah, because these, these, um, diagnoses are based on behavior, they're based on what you tell me, um, that's how you make a diagnosis of depression or of mm. an anxiety disorder or schizophrenia. Um, and you use all the information you have, you know, like health records or, you know, the history from different people. But, you know, it's not like you can walk into a clinic and, um, you know, like get a, yeah, a blood test for it. Yeah. Yeah. I was uh, thinking if maybe even like, um, cause like the, like the, uh, What's that? Uh, like twenty three and me, like that got yes. really popular, and and I, I do, I've never uh, gotten one of the. Do you know if they reveal like things like like specific genetic traits, or is it just really like your like where you might be from? Do you, is it? Yeah, they do. They do have a lot of health related information they mm-hmm. provide. Um, there was an issue um, several years ago where um, they were just disclosing information that people may not want to know, Mm -hmm. for example, like, um, their risk for Alzheimer's disease, things like that. And so now, um, some of those things, you know, are harder, like that information is there Mm -hmm. obviously. Um, and then they'll, you know, so you, you log in and they will, and then they, they'll give you like your risk of, you know, certain, um, some of the things are mutations where if you have it, then basically you would have that condition. Mm. Um, like Huntington's disease is like that. Um, it's it's a, a specific mutation, but um, that that's different. Like all of these psychiatric disorders are maybe if you have you know a particular gene variant, it increases. Mm. It maybe doubles your risk of depression, but it okay. doesn't. It doesn't mean that you're going to develop it. So. Um, so yeah, you can you can um, you know look at that kind of thing on on Twenty Three and Me, and um, but again, I think that they they've had to be more careful than they were in the past because of the potential to mislead people. Mm-hmm. Um, as I think the probabilities are hard. Um, you know, if if you tell people you um, you know have a one point three you know, fold higher risk of developing diabetes. Like, well, you know, well, 
that's not very high. You know, what do you do with that information? Yeah. Um, and so, so some of these things are, you know, it's just sort of how, how you convey that information to people is really yeah. critical. Yeah. And I wonder if like, even like, cause I, like a basic understanding of per- percentages, yeah. like that sounds low, but I wonder if it's like, um, like when you hear like, Oh, you know, uh, I don't know, GDP dropped by 2% and that's like a really big deal. You know, like I would like, like, like what does 1% mean in the medical world? Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, these are, these are really great questions. And, um, yeah, I mean, if it, if it doubles your risk of something, yeah, that's, that's kind of high. Mm -hmm. Um, but a lot of these things, um, these, you know, specific genetic variants, it's really not going to increase your risk by that much. Mm-hmm. It's sort of when you put a whole bunch of those genes together in combination with environmental factors yeah. um, may put you sort of over the threshold. But those are those are difficult concepts. Yeah. And, and then there's a lot of things in there that are just, you know, just variation that is is really hard to measure mm-hmm. or impossible to measure. So yeah. um, so I think those are the things that it's it's hard to, um, you know, really convey that information to mm-hmm. people. I think for, you know, for some, some things like, like diet and, you know, okay, I think let's cutting down on processed food, for example, right. like, okay, maybe, you know, every individual, you know, like potato chip you're eating is not yeah. doing something bad, but yeah, I mean, just cumulatively, all right. Switching to a, a you know, more like plant-based diet, mm-hmm. like, okay, that's not, we're not, like bringing in a lot of negatives by suggesting that. Um, but on the other hand, um, things related to like, you know, medication treatment, for example, like the, 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 there's a a higher cost. So we would want to be more careful about kind of giving that advice. Right. That makes sense. Um, and, uh, we're going to get you out of here on time. Uh Uh, so maybe my last question for you, I'm, I'm just curious of like your, uh, uh, opinion as someone who has, uh, spent so much time just, understanding the the brain in this way um we always uh hear uh, takes from people uh whether it's talking about depression or um really any mental disorder that um you know how how do i say like people would be like oh you know the, the the cavemen back in the day you know like they because like they were just so consumed and and busy with surviving and uh, you know, uh, running away from threats that, uh, that they were perfectly, you know, there were probably wasn't any mental illness because mm. like they were in balance with nature versus like, you know, this day and age where, um, for the most part, you know, if you live in a, in a modern, especially Western country, that maybe those threats aren't, you know, they're not there. Like, you know, the saber toothed tiger was once, okay. um, I guess the, the, the question is, is, how much, in your opinion, do you think modern living has mm-hmm. to do with developing these uh, conditions? Yeah, it's another great question. So there is there's something called Maslow's hierarchy of needs, okay. you know? So right. you have, yeah. like, your basic, you know, food, shelter, and all of that before you can, you know, get into this you know, the top of the pyramid of worrying about these like existential things. And, you know, so, so, I mean, I think there's, there's some of that. If you're, um, you know, if you're running from a tiger, you are not going to be thinking about, you're not going to be thinking about that you're depressed or, you you know what Mm. I mean? So, so, I mean, I, I think that there's some, there's some 
validity to these evolutionary arguments just in terms of like where your priorities are and, and, um, you know, but I don't think that we should interpret that as, okay, we're all too, you know, too soft, for yeah, example, right. and that, oh, we, we, we don't have real things to worry about. And that's why these, um, you know, it, I mean, there is a legitimate question about, okay, what are we doing wrong? Because these rates of, you know, for example, anxiety, depression, and so forth in, um, you know, in mental health conditions in, in teenagers in particular, like they are, you know, they are going up and a suicide. And, and so it's, it's something that really concerns me, like what is going on in, um, our society that's causing all of these things to, to get worse when, you know, by other metrics, the world has gotten better in terms of, I mean, there's still like, don't get me wrong. There's still a lot of, of hunger and poverty and, um, but overall, you know, I mean the, the rates of things like that since over the past hundred years, um, those things have gotten better. So, so it is, I, I think that just something to reflect on, like what is it about our society that's, um, you know, really causing some, you know, profound crises for, yeah. you know, like, and, and not, not for a small number of people. I mean, one in four, yeah. uh, one in four people will have a, a um, psychiatric disorder, uh, the most common being anxiety or depression in their lifetime. So mm. that's, that's, that's not insignificant. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, maybe next, uh, uh, I wonder if there's uh, anyone who's like studied uh, boredom, like just like what, because hearing that, it made me, just hearing you speak, it, for some reason made me uh, ask if there's like a, um, if there's like a medical definition of boredom mm. and like what the brain thinks is happening when it's bored. Because I think we, we all have heard quotes of like, oh, well, you know, boredom is dangerous because it can lead to this and that. But uh, I, yeah, anyway, that's, I know that's not your. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, that's uh, a, yeah, I don't know that there's, if there is a definition, I don't know. I, I will just say that our tolerance for boredom is just like, has dropped to oh, zero, yeah. right? Yes. Because there's just so much constant stimulation and you can get the stimulation anytime you're feeling mm -hmm. like the teeny tiniest bit yeah. bored. You can find something to fill your mind or distract yeah. you. And, and so, and I. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, you can tell my my expressions that yeah. I don't know that that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think it's good to be bored sometimes. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, I I uh, uh, of course I could I could ask you questions for the next twenty four hours. Yeah, this is really But uh, unfortunately, we don't. You know, we, we all got things to do. But seriously, yeah. thank you so much for just uh, making the time to do this. Um, yeah, I I, I always love uh, picking people's brains like yourselves that just know so much. Uh, so thank you, seriously. Oh, this has been a lot of fun. No, I've really enjoyed talking with you. Thank so you. yeah, you can see I've got a lot to say too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah for- to Get to my parking meter. Okay, oh right, right, yeah. But um, yeah, everyone listening, we are out, we're done. Thank you.